So the NRL All-Stars podcast, this is Barnsley, back for the weekly talk and footy episode, and this one's going to be a two-parter, a double episode, because we missed out on one last week, and I wanted to make sure I got this next gentleman on board to do it, so I waited for him, because I knew he was going to Magic Ground, I couldn't go to Magic Ground, I wanted to hear all about it, we've got Luke Garrity back, Luke, Magic Ground, you're back, back to work, it's all over, but I'm sure you had a great weekend. It was good, mate. A really good time up there. I've been to everyone so far and um, I'm not planning on, on stopping if I can avoid it. Uh, always a really good time up there. Um, yeah, I'm a bit dusty back at work this week and it's a quick, <laughs> a, a quick turnaround to use league talk. I'm back at, you know, the Knights are playing on Thursday, so we've got a short turnaround. I might not be in much condition uh, to back up on Thursday, <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll see how we go. Uh, lucky you're an elite athlete. As long as they don't bring out the sand dunes at work tomorrow, <laughs> you, you should be all right. That's um, right. Luke, for those that don't know, Luke's often a guest on the Talking Footy episodes, and he's also a co-host of the Rugby League Cemetery podcast, which is a fantastic podcast that looks back at old games and reviews them and talks about old matchups, which is great. You can find that anywhere that you can find good podcasts, including this one. And for those that are new to the All-Stars podcast, this is a non-Supercoach episode. So each week we've got one Supercoach episode that does TLT for Supercoach, and that drops on Wednesdays, and then we've got our talk and footy episode that's just all about footy, no fantasy talk, no Supercoach talk, just all about the game and all current issues, also looking back on some old past players and past performances and things as well. But tagline of these episodes really is just to give you guys some honest insights, some unbiased insights and opinions on rugby league from various people that are fans or that know a bit about the game and like to talk about it. There is no bias. So one of the things I hate, which I've mentioned plenty of times, is talking, uh, looking at Fox Sports and um, Channel 9, Wide World of Sports and even ESPN sometimes and all these other networks and different media outlets that just always seem to have too many agendas and aren't too honest about things either. Uh, and certainly when there's players involved, you know, it's always hard for players to talk badly about other players or be critical. So well, nobody knows me, so I'm happy to be critical if it's warranted. And I'm sure Luke is as well. But look, we've got a jam-packed double episode coming up. This first episode, we've got a lot to talk about. But the first thing that we're going to chat about is Magic Round because we're going to start off on a positive loop. Now, to me, you know, Magic Round is a, a fantastic concept. Um, I've often laboured the fact that in Australia, in particular, in all sports, um, we, we've got great sport and we've got a great sporting nation. But if you compare it to someone like America, like I, I think our sports and how we play them, especially in our attitude sport, are better. But one of the things that the Americans do do better than us is that they do put on the entertainment. They do make it a spectacle. They do do all this stuff around it that really caters towards fans having a great time. And we just don't do enough of it in Australia. So I'm really pleased that we're looking at things like Magic Round for the last few years because it is something that does give the fans uh, a whole experience, you know. And I, I've spoken quite often, you know, one of the best examples that I can give is I've gone to the NBA Summer League a couple of times. And for those that don't know, the NBA Summer League is the off-season when basically they have a, a tournament for a few days, round-robin tournament, and each team's players aren't necessarily superstars or anything. You get the sort of rookies, second-year guys, third-year guys, some semi-stars in there as well. 
Uh, and then also, you know, a heap of guys that are trying to get contracts and they compete in like a round-robin weekend type of scenario. And you go and similar to Magic Round, you know, you can see half a dozen games in a day. But it's what they do around it, Luke. They, you know, I, I couldn't believe how fun it was. They had like craft brewery vans around. They had, you know, take a photo with the trophy and send it to your phone so you can post it on social media um, with the NBA championship trophy and stuff. They had uh, people walking around dressed up outside. They had memorabilia stands. They had all these different activities. They had like arcades with, you know, shooting the basketball and stuff and all these different awesome food outlets as well that you could go and try. It was just such an entertaining, it, it was like basketball kind of came last on, you know, how fun everything was and, that's what we really need to get a bit more of in Australian sport. And I think the magic round is sort of a concept that's kind of getting towards that type of attitude and entertaining fans and, and giving them something a bit bigger. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They do a really good job of it up there. It's, it's in the perfect place. There's um, really importantly that unlike a lot of stadiums, you can't get a bad seat at Suncorp. It's not possible. So you get a really good view of the game. Um, it's really accessible. It's in the city. So you can, they've, they've got some stuff set out up the front, but you're also only, you know, a short walk into some bars and pubs and into the city and that sort of thing. So it's really accessible. It's really, that, that stuff's really important if you're going to have a full day of stuff going on. And it, it's, it's a fantastic, everyone up there is really excited to be there. A lot of people are traveling to be there and a lot of people, you know, not everyone in Brisbane goes for the Broncos. So even a lot of Brisbane people, they might see some football, but often, especially the older people who had a team before the Broncos and everything, it's one of the only times they get to see their team um, play for the year, coming up from Sydney and those sorts of things, or one of only two. So, yeah, I, I just think it's great. I, I love it. Everyone up there is having a great time. Everyone loves their footy. You know, it's just like-minded people getting together to, to watch the footy in a really fun atmosphere and a great ground. It's, it's the best ground I've, I've watched any sport in, to be honest with you. Sounds great. Well, I mean, it was obviously a bit of a rainy weekend as well. Um, but... Mm. Let's talk a bit about the footy that happened and, and review the rounds as well. So, and when we're reviewing the rounds, you know, we didn't get to talk about last round either. So we might talk a little bit about that too, but probably like a few takeaways, obviously from the rounds, but the first one I'm going to talk about, no surprise here. All right. I'm just going to throw it out there. Mate, are my roosters back? Because I tell you what, you know, I know <laughs> that you feel very low of the eels, but the Roosters ran up a lead pretty quickly and pretty easily against Parramatta after Parramatta in round nine beat Penrith 22 to 20 in what was, uh, I mentioned last week, probably the first game where I felt like it was semi-final quality. Um, so certainly I think Parramatta were, have been good lately, um, but the Roosters did them 31-24. And I, obviously Parramatta came back in the second half. Great spectacle for the fans like yourself in the stands. But I kind of felt like that the Roosters were on top pretty much the whole game. High quality game, um, completion rates for the Roosters, 86%, Eels at 88%, 48% possession for the Roosters. And it just, it's, it was a high quality game and the Roosters still came out on top. So I, I was pretty buoyed by that. Um, obviously the week before the Roosters did the Titans pretty easily and it's not a great barometer, um, but, but certainly, you know, I thought that they've looked a bit better uh, the last few weeks and it's starting to show on the scoreboard. So did Magic Round work the magic on my roosters, do you think, mate? Are the roosters back and firing? Um, yeah, look, they were pretty good. I think I should qualify first. I'm not that low on the Eels. I just think they'll pike <laughs> it in the finals like they always do. I'm not low on them in the regular season. They've beaten they've beaten Melbourne and Penrith this year and they beat Melbourne last year a couple of times. So I, they're a good team. And that, I didn't think East would be able to get close to them because I think East's weakness is in the forwards in the middle of the field. And Parramatta obviously do not have that weakness. They've got a wonderful pack. So it was a really good win for East. Um, I, I think that they were... They were really good. It's the best I've seen them play. Uh, I, 
I'll need to see a bit more of it. Um, obviously, they've got a tough draw, so we'll find out a, a bit in the next couple of weeks. Firstly, with them playing Penrith and then Cronulla, who are probably a similar level team to the Roosters at the moment, where everyone's probably got them a rung under the top couple, but should be in the final. So that'll be a good look as well. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, look, it's just going to come down to that consistency. I, I think I don't think anyone's ever doubted the sort of football they can play because they have always, even, you know, even at their best, they, they used to play exquisite football and sort of fall asleep for 20 minutes. And, and you know, that exquisite football was enough. Um, at the moment, I don't think they can afford to have the clock-offs they've had in the previous years. They really don't have the, the squad now to have those periods where they just go to sleep. And, you know, I think it was really encouraging. They looked really good. They still conceded a lot of points, um, albeit, you know, Suncorp, it was, it was drier on the day than it has been the other it was dropped pretty dry actually on Sunday so it was a that's usually a fast track up there but yeah I, I'd still like to see a couple of weeks from them ask me after the Cronulla game when they've played Penrith and Cronulla and I'll, I'll answer that for you but it was certainly <laughs> it was a step in the right direction it really was very good yeah I think the thing for me that has been um really positive is that the the penalties that they conceded was only three and they only mm. made six errors and the errors in particular is what's really brought them undone so not making the errors and being able to score yeah. 30 plus points is is basically is the things that have been wrong with them the first sort of six weeks so to see it that's completely turned around a bit oh that that i'd agree with I, I watched them a month ago and like i just thought that like the way they played against the dragons and the week after was just completely appalling i've never seen a team with that many good players just make that many mistakes it was like they were trying like you could seriously put that game up for match fixing like it was that you could flag it that bad. They were making that many stupid mistakes that you'd seriously, if you were, if, if you got a tip off that someone was doing it, you'd be flagging that game and just going through it because how like, you know, really good players like Tupu and Tedesco and all those guys were just making clangers all over the shop. And it was, it was pretty bad. Kiri as well. Um, but they do seem to find that out. So, you know, again, a couple of weeks of that. And I, you know, I started the preseason thinking top four, I cooled big time um, after watching some of their football this year and thought I, I stuffed that up. But, you know, if they play well against Penrith and beat Cronulla. I, I might get back towards that sort of third three to five sort of zone that I could see him getting into. You might get back to that. Jeez, you're a hard yeah. marker, Luke. Hard marker. <laughs> Look, let's talk about the Penrith Panthers that you just touched on there too. Um, I think they're worth mentioning. They're a highlight for me. They, round nine, I, I think... Even though they lost to the Parramatta Eels, I don't think it took anything away from them because I think Parramatta played exceptionally well. And Penrith had this ridiculous record of like hardly losing in the last two years. So mm. it was, you know, it, it was going to have to happen eventually. And they lost to a good team in a good game. So there was nothing wrong with that. But in Magic Round, um, 32 to 6, they did Melbourne. And I, I'd think that, that that was a good reflection of the game. Um, now, obviously, Hughes being out ruled out that day, hindered the storm, uh, and they've also got Pappenhausen out. So there, there is big caveats there. But, I, I, I mean, even in ways you could even argue that 32 to 6 even flooded the storm because uh, so, I thought that Penrith absolutely blitzed them and completely outplayed them. And I thought that all their big guns as well, you know, stepped up pretty well. Um, and they ran some really good plays that kind of exposed Melbourne. I love that play that they ran where they did the, the double underball where they went yeah. with the fake to the fake to kick out and then hand off to the other um, for Targo to go through. You know, I, I thought that was sensational. And that's the type of play, you know, that the top teams have where you just look at it and go, well, that's a different variation than what you normally see. And look how well it works when you do that to a defensive line, even as good as Melbourne. So that was my standout play for that one. But just in general, as far as Penrith, you know, how did you see that one from the stands? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were very, very good as I expected them to be. Um, I don't think Melbourne have as many excuses as people want to make because they just got completely whacked in the middle of the field. And I know the game changes. If they have Hughes and Pappenhausen, they have a better chance of taking opportunities when they're on attack. And if that happens, obviously that then flows on to putting more pressure in the game and evening it out. But the Penrith were just marching them in the middle of the field in areas that have nothing to do with halfbacks and fullbacks. Um, and that's something that would be concerning. Uh, my take out of that game really was Melbourne because last year they went on that giant run of winning all those games, like 20 in a row, whatever it was, 21. And they were flogging everyone. And there was always this sort of thing in the back of your head that, you know, this doesn't really reflect on what might happen when they play Parramatta and Penrith. And, and they lost to Parramatta just before the end of the year and, and they weren't able to get around Penrith in, in the finals who weren't playing particularly well for that matter. So going into this year, watching them have those couple of big wins the last few weeks, I sort of roll my eyes a bit when everyone says how well they're going because ultimately it doesn't matter. If, if, if Melbourne beat all those crap teams by 50 and Penrith beat them by 30, that's not a reflection of what might happen when the teams play each other. It's sort of irrelevant. Who can cash in and put more points on the bottom teams doesn't actually yeah. tell you a lot. So my concern was always that they've actually lost quite a few forwards. Like, and they've got a few forwards gone from last year and, and sort of Finucane, um and, and another I'm, I'm forgetting. And then and sort of so um, Big Nelson's now injured. Uh, they lost Welsh at the start of this year. Um, they've got guys, they now have genuine part-time players into the squad, which has been, you know, a long time since they've had that with Josh King at lock. He reminds me of sort of um, years ago when they ran Brian Norrie and those sorts of guys. They've got those budget guys into their team. And the question for me wasn't, can they do a job against the Knights and hold, you know, hold the Knights middle and make sure they win by 50. It's whether they can stop Penrith and Parra and those teams in the middle from rolling them. And the answer so far has been no. Um, Am I ruling them out? Not even a little bit. They're a really, really good side and they'll be very hard to beat. But people just need to remember that when they have a few easy games in a couple of weeks or whatever it is and they win 50 to nil again, you can't just say, oh, well, they're, they're on for it. They're going to win the comp. But it, those things don't reflect on who's going to win when you go toe-to-toe with the other top teams. And they do have some question marks, both on their right-edge defence um, and in their middle. Because they're just, if you look at that forward pack and look on name value and not so much name value, if you look at output and where those guys are at in their career, they, they are going to really struggle in terms of quality against Penrith and Parramatta. Um, and they're going to have to find a way to answer that. Yeah, some of those guys in the pack as well, uh, like Kafusi. Uh, um, Jesse Bromwich, these type of guys are really at the end, which is yeah. why, you know, obviously they've let them go to the Dolphins, but <laughs> that's a different yeah. story. Um, when you have a look at the, the run meters, it's really interesting. Now, the Storm were under 40% possession, which comes into account as well. But at the same time, the run meters for Penrith were double. And even if you break it down to the Fords, the, the Fords just absolutely killed the run meters compared to the Storm. And that doesn't normally happen. And the Storm also had 51 missed tackles and 13 errors, and they conceded eight penalties. Yeah, the penalties, yeah, they're probably the same as a lot of other games that they have that they still win pretty comfortably, but particularly the run meters and the errors, you know, it's it's pretty unstorm-like, and I tend to agree with you on, on the forward pack. I think that that's going to be really interesting now that we've just seen Naz injured. Um, they've obviously got Brandon Smith that can go in there, but then all of a sudden that weakens their bench quite substantially. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting few weeks for Melbourne, particularly with the Origin period, because they're going to start to lose other players too, not just Pappenhausen to injury, but then they're going to lose Munster to Origin and so forth, and then it just all becomes 
a storm side that used to be able to put a Nico Hines in and, and these type of guys that can't do that right now because they're already using as much as they can in their full strength team. So aside from that, the other the other game um, that was worth mentioning was the Sharks and Raiders because I was all over the Sharks who absolutely obliterate the Raiders and the Sharks got embarrassed. It's the worst game that they played this year very comfortably. And it's funny because it comes off a round nine performance that was their best. And I, I was so impressed with how they played the Warriors in round nine, winning 29 to 10 when they had 11 players for 10 minutes of that game and 12 players for the vast majority of it for the rest. And they still managed to comfortably beat the New Zealand Warriors. You know, it, and it, a lot of people sort of might try and take away from it a little bit by saying how bad the Warriors are. In a football game, if you're missing one player for virtually a whole game, it is massive. Like it's a massive even up with anyone. You, if it's first, first, last, it still hurts you. Um, the fatigue sets in as well on a lot of players. And then if you go to eleven, like that's like playing you know rugby sevens. You know, there's just a space everywhere on a rugby league field if you're going against a defensive line of eleven. So it was a really, really great effort. And then you look at the stats in that Canberra game, and you know it's. They had 54% possession, Luke. So, I mean, they had enough ball in that Canberra game. Canberra had three sin bins as well. And they still only managed their two tries. And they still got beat very comfortably 30 to 10. You know, it was just, it was a shocking game from them. Um, I mean, Canberra even gave 10 penalties to Cronulla's four. Like, if you look at the numbers and stuff, you would have thought that Cronulla would have did them in pretty easily. But it was just really poor performance on Magic Round for the Sharkies. Yeah, it was. Um, look, I... I... <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I saw it coming because I, I, I tipped them and B captain Nico Hines. So I'm not, I think I don't want to give myself too much credit here, but <laughs> I, sitting there before the game, I did say to my mate I was with, I just said that the move of Nico Hines to fullback, I just said to him that it was be one of the more unusual things I've seen that I can't come up with a precedent in the time I've watched the game for moving your halfback when you're in the top four to fullback to cover a fullback injury. That's the way that affects you know, at halfback is fairly universally accepted as the most important position for your attack. And to move, uh, never mind that he is the best fullback as well, to move your halfback out of position to cover a three-week injury or a two-week injury or suspension, sorry, a two-week suspension. I can't think of any, anyone that's done that. And I, I just think it backfired. Their attack was awful because all of a sudden, Nico Hines started to look like Kalen Ponga because he started to get the ball out the back going sideways after worse players had to get it first because Trindle would get it, do nothing with it, throw a pass out the back and Hines has got it sideways. They know where he is and they rush up and get him, which has always been the problem at Newcastle with, with sort of an inferior halves feeding him the ball is you know where he is and you rush up and get him. And that happened all the time. And then Trindle kicked a couple of balls dead that Nico Hines has been kicking every other week. He's been getting it at first receiver, kicking it to the end goal and getting another set repeatedly and all of a sudden Trindle was getting it and not doing that and Trindle was getting it on the edge throwing a short ball to the second rower and the second rower to drop it because it was a bit hard or it hit him in the hip or something whereas when Nico's been doing it they've you know it's been steaming onto it and rushing through the hole so it really it really clunked their whole attack up and they never never looked like coming good with it and it just I, I really think that was a bad mistake and I suppose the obvious answer to that is people will say, well, he went to fullback the week before, but he actually didn't because he defended at fullback the week before, but their fullback got sent off and they didn't bring another half on. They they just played with the normal. They, I, I thought they might bring Wade Graham on as a half and play a forward short, but they didn't. They played with a normal setup with Nico Hines 
basically playing halfback. He was getting it at first and second receiver and attack, either getting it first or wrapping behind Moylan um, and then defending at fullback. He didn't actually play fullback. They played without one. And, and this week, all of a sudden, he was just getting the ball second and third after all these sort of, you know, Moylan gets it first and Trindle gets it first. And, and I just think it was a bad mistake. And credit to Fitzgibbon. Uh, the one thing I thought after the game was we'll find out a bit about him now because a lot of coaches will bury their head in the sand and not want to admit they got it wrong and say, no, 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 we just didn't execute the game plan. We didn't get it right. You know, we'll be reviewing the tape. Um, and a good coach will say, you know what? I stuffed up. And the first thing he's done, the team was named two days later. Nico Hines is at halfback and he's putting a fullback in and he's reverted. So I, I will give him a lot of credit for that because as dumb as I sort of thought it was, people do dumb stuff and we, we all have dumb ideas from time to time and he has been man enough to flick it back this week and put him back in position so I, I think that's actually a good sign for Cronulla that they've got a coach who's not too proud or too uh, big on himself to just say I stuffed up and move on. I think some of the issues that they ran into with that um, is that Hines and this is no disrespect to the rest of Cronulla but I think that everybody can see that uh, if you take Hines out of that Cronulla side they're going to fail. Uh, he's a big part of it. And that's fine. Like a lot of teams, especially ones like Cronulla, who haven't been traveling the best the last couple of years, um, need to try and find that superstar and build around them. And they have done that with Nico Hines really well, I think. So, you know, everyone kind of compliments Nico really well. And not to segue into Supercoach too much, but one of the reasons I really liked Nico in the preseason in Supercoach was even though he was playing a different position, I made the comment that it, it's going to be the Nico show because there's no one else in that spine that he's going to be able to do much at all. It's all going to be based around him. He's going to get all the ball. He's going to be making all the plays. And if he's a good enough player, he's going to be able to do that. And we've seen that he is a good enough player. So unfortunately, when you move him out of that spot, like you said, that's what happens. And I think that they kind of got hung up too because Trindle uh, kind of showed flashes last year. uh, And he also played well in lower grades. So I think that the thought process was, you know, that he he came in last year and did a job. The problem is that the system now is very different with Nico Hines, right? So he's a fully-fledged, um, halfback mm. that has a high usage it's going to come in and, and play like a halfback and that takes away from Nico getting the ball and I also thought he played exceptionally poorly too so yeah. I mean, that's also going to come into <laughs> that, it as well. That doesn't help that for sure but yeah and, and it is, it's it's not that you know moving yeah it's not just the moving Nico to fullback it is who you bring in because um, as much as we think you know Turbo, Teddy and Pappenhausen and even I suppose Gutherson to extent as some of the best fullbacks and the best fullbacks in Supercoach and real life it's no there's no it's not a coincidence that the guys we think are the best fullbacks or who have the best output statistically and have the best output in Supercoach as well at fullback are the guys that have good halves because when they are getting fed the ball by good halves and with you know at least one good half in there a lot of good things can happen for you but when your fullback is your focal point your only focal point and your halves aren't good they're a lot easier to guard Um, and that's the problem that you know sometimes Manly run into when Cherry Evans isn't playing well. Um, and, and, Ponga as well. and Ponga runs into all the time because he just doesn't have a good half. And it's because teams can see where the fullback goes and react to that and put a lot better things in place to shut it down. But when you've got good halves who they have to worry about as well, it frees those fullbacks up. And, and Nico, yeah, just went from being the guy that got it first and could put plays on to having to get the ball from inferior players. And I'm really big on that. When you've got your best players, you want them to get the ball first. You don't want like the weaker players in the team deciding where and when they get the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when they're not particularly playing well like Trindle. Uh, Look, aside from that, let's move on to some of the other games that we managed to see. The Cowboys, they've continued to go well, but I've kind of, you know, I've I've gone from at the start of the season and the preseason saying that they're going to be a bottom four side. Wouldn't be surprised if they hit the spoon, even if things don't go their way. 
but definitely bottomed four. And, you know, after the first uh, six weeks, I kind of get, I said I had to give them credit. And the last few weeks I really have. And I've said, you know, they've, they've definitely impressed me and I've got it wrong. They've done a lot better. Um, but I'm also now at the point where I kind of feel like I need to pull up the reins because round 10 magic round, obviously really big win 36 to 12, but it was over the Tigers who were fairly hopeless. Um, and then last week as well, even in round nine, you know, they had a, a 36-16 win against Newcastle and that was up at home and I'm sorry your Knights aren't aren't travelling well at all either. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I think the next two weeks is when I, I'm going to decide how much credit I'm going to give the Cowboys because the last two weeks they've had really big wins. They put up 36 points in each match. No one scored 20 against them in those. 12 and 16 points conceded. One of the best defensive teams in the NRL at almost the midway point now. Uh, but at the same time, they had a very favourable draw. And I'm going to wait and see when they start playing these good teams, how they're going to turn up. And that doesn't mean that I need them to beat uh, Storm and Penrith the next week and, and two weeks ahead. But I need them to compete with those teams if they're going to actually have um, full credit to them. Um, and I still think that there's a chance that maybe there's a few seams that could get pulled out and they could crack a little bit at the moment playing those better teams. I just don't know how much of, you know, playing the last couple of weeks is them being a good side or them, you know, playing poorer sides like the Tigers and Newcastle. So a bit of a backhanded compliment, Luke. But, I mean, again, from the Magic Round stands, you know, did you watch the Tigers-Cowboys go? Yeah, yeah, I watched all of them because I'm just uh, that sort of weirdo. Um, yeah, they, 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 they were right. They, they just did what they had to do. Uh, it was one of those games where they had 20 points on before either of their halves or their fullback did that much. And that's usually because you're playing you know, a team that you're just better than, um, you know, in a big game, you'd expect a lot of the spark and creative stuff to come off those key players. And, and to be honest, they just kept rolling through block plays and scoring. Um, obviously a magnificent uh, miracle pass for one of the tries early, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think they're pretty good. I don't think they're going to finish in the top four. And I think it'd be absolutely catastrophic if they miss the eight now, given how good they have looked and, and, and the wins they've banked that, I, I think they'll probably finish fifth or sixth and get a home final up there, which would be pretty cool. Um, top four. Again, when I say I don't think they'll make the top four, I mean, the next two weeks is what's going to tell you a bit because they've got a couple of tough games coming and they've done what they needed to do so far, um, but they probably haven't played some of those, you know, in fairness, they beat Parramatta comfortably, but they haven't played a lot of other really top sides yet. So they're about to get a couple of them and we'll find a fair bit more out about them. Mm, now third on the ladder, which is um, a lot higher than anyone thought they would be. Brisbane are... Definitely. They, I'll admit I got that totally wrong. I had them in the bottom four. I should also put my hand up and say I had them like last or second last. So um, they proved me wrong. We still sure. have time, okay? We still have yeah. time. <laughs> it can right. still happen. Uh, look, we are going to talk about Brisbane a bit more in the second topic. Um, so I'm not going to talk about them too much because we're going to chat about Adam Reynolds and how Brisbane went, but their opposition on the weekend, Manly. I've got to say, and I'm, I've got to try and say this as nicely as possible to the Manly fans, I, I think that that is, if not the worst, then one of the worst performances from a Manly side I've seen in my lifetime. Um, and certainly the worst football game I've seen this year, potentially like it's right up there with the, the Tigers, Titans, eight, six debacle. Um, and it's certainly one of the worst performances in the last few years. Um, Brisbane won that game 38 to nil, but I was saying to mates of mine that I was watching it with, like that's a 70 to nil storm win. And, you know, the 38 to nil Brisbane played well, but you know, the Manly side was just horrendous and it was a combination of things. Um, I, I didn't think anyone really played particularly well for Manly, but 
the amount of errors that they were making and just silly errors of passing the ball into each other and things and runners not being where they were supposed to. It was like a reserve grade side having a run against an A grade side in a park and the and the reserve grade side had only just started playing together and hadn't had a training session. Like that's what it reminded me of. But then the effort areas, Luke, is what killed me. Like for I'll throw out there, Turbo looked completely lame. I can't believe that Dez said he's 100% healthy. And then it's come out that he had a cork that he had during the game. His knee looked shot. He could not do anything. But at the same time, when that happens, you kind of expect Cherry Evans to step up. And like, there's a lot of other guys that had really poor efforts. But Cherry Evans is a million-dollar marquee player. You know, Turbo's a marquee player, but, but Cherry Evans got the, the 10-year deal and everything else. You know, he is a marquee player. He's an Australian and Queensland halfback at the moment. And I was just unbelievably disappointed with how he played. And it was multiple things, but I'll highlight a couple. There was one where he let a try in, where it wasn't even a jersey grab. It was like he tried to swat a fly away with one hand eight metres out from his try line and they just scored. You know, there was that. Um, There was another incident where I sort of looked at it. I actually rewound it and watched it again. Marty Tapao went on the inside of him and got a really poor no effort ball thrown at him from Cherry Evans that he dropped and it was sort of around his hip and his big front row and he went, you know, it was a turnaround inside pass from DC. It wasn't great. And Marty kind of got hit a little bit and went down and was hurt. And DC just looked at him and walked away. And it was Broncos players that actually gave him a pat on the head and helped him up and made sure he was okay. Yeah. And that's the captain of your side too, by the way. Yeah. That type of stuff's really telling for me. Like that body language stuff and that effort stuff. Really telling. And Cherry Evans was really bad on the weekend. No surprising if that's how your marquee player is going to go and how, you know, he's going to assert himself in that game that a lot of the other lesser players followed. You know, someone like Bullimore, I mentioned and lamented many times, shouldn't be starting on an edge ever. Um, And in fact, probably should be out of their 17. And he keeps getting put back in. He got found out again badly. But, you know, it's hard to single any manly players out really because I I thought that they were all, just terrible, Luke. Yeah, they were pretty bad. Um, I'll single them out. It was Cherry Evans and Foran. I've never seen Cherry Evans play that badly, and Foran was absolutely disgraceful. Like, um, it's uh, if if I know Schuster's on the bench this week, but if they were fair income, if he was properly fit, that that was a droppable game. He was absolutely disgraceful. He was as bad as Cherry Evans, and the only reason I'd say Cherry Evans was worse is because Cherry Evans is supposed to be better. Um, you know how good you actually are and your pay salary does make a difference. And, and Cherry Evans was, was atrocious. Um, I mean, Cherry Evans is a beautiful player and I'm, I'm quite fond of watching him play because I think he's, you know, a fantastic player. But um, I, I have copped a bit over the last couple of years because when a couple of people try to tell me he's in his career best form and how well he's going, I've made the point that it's been a long time now since he had a really big game against a good opponent. Um, if you go through the games where they play Melbourne and when they played the Roosters a couple of years ago and when they play Penrith now, it's been quite a while since, even go to Origin, it's been a long time since he had a really good game in a really important game on a big stage um, via top four side or the New South Wales. He really has, he's in those games and he's there, but it's been a really long time since he's been influential in those. He is routing the worst teams in the comp the last couple of years still. But hey, there's some question marks on him when the heat's on now. Um, and maybe that's a bit of age or a bit of slowing down or, 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 you know, maybe he always needed a bit more help than he's got at the moment. But it, it's it honestly, it's been a long time. So if you can find me a game in the last couple of years where Cherry Evans was really dominant uh, in a top four matchup or in a game they needed to win to get in the finals or in a final, um, you know, I, 
I'd challenge you to find it because I just don't. Even when they won Origin with no players, he was the captain, but he did bugger all. It was Cameron Munster just dominated that series. And Cameron Munster, um, that will go down as his series, the one where Wayne coached and all the players were out at the end of the year and everything. It, you know, it's there's some question marks there when they get in the, the big games, whether he's still got it. Yeah, I agree. And I'd go one step further and say that he's actually got a record of not stepping up in big games when you look at it, like mm. over his career. Everyone's going to have, you know, w- with your marquee players and those guys that are meant to be at the top of the league and one of the best halfbacks in the game for some time, they're, they're always going to have some bad games in big games, but you want them to have a good ratio, right? Like you want their good games in big games to be 80% and their bad ones to be 10 or 20%. Whereas Terry Evans now has a career resume of it being the other way around. And it doesn't nearly get called out enough. I think part of that is because he's a Queensland representative and, you know, you can look at it as a positive or a negative that, you know, New South Wales a lot of the time as a fan base will we'll call for blood very early and sometimes unfairly on many players, um, whereas mm-hmm. Queensland are kind of the opposite, where they'll never do that, even when they it's very warranted. Um, and I think that part of it's that's protected him. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he's been in a manly system as well for a long time, pretty, for his whole career. Uh, and then he's got his Queensland coach in Mao that mm-hmm. even now still tries to suggest that it's his jersey over Cleary's for the Australian job. Now, it's yeah, it's they're going to be in a lot of trouble based on that based on that weekend. And I made the comment as well that that's the type of loss. It isn't just a loss. Like I mentioned that it didn't matter that Penrith lost to Parramatta last the other week. They'll just move on from that. It doesn't matter. They played well, but that Manly loss was so bad, and the performance and the attitude from their players was so bad. It has the ability to have a hangover effect for the next two or three weeks because of how bad they looked. I reckon. Yeah, they'll need to be they'll need to be a lot better to get anywhere near Parramatta, and we'll find a lot out by how they come out of the blocks, whether they're really embarrassed by that or whether that's where their mood and where their performance is at. Um, the other thing with Cherry Evans, because you're right in the points you raised, the other reason it doesn't get called out much is we have a really binary thing in rugby league that you either won a comp or you didn't win a comp, and that's success. And Cherry Evans won one in his first year when he came into a really successful team that had already won a couple of been sorry been in a couple of grand finals and won one where he had sort of. Uh, Jamie Lyon still there, um, a lot of really strong leaders, a lot, you know, the Stewarts and all these sort of guys. And he was the halfback. And I don't mean to take away as if he didn't contribute to the win, but he wasn't the man in that team or the key figure in that team. He was a young guy who'd come in around an exceptionally large group of senior players um, that played a lot of representative football. And they went through and won a comp. So picking that off early really takes a lot of pressure off you. You don't get the sort of, um, the Pierce thing, or even what Thurston got at the Cowboys, where he'd won one on the bench for the Dogs, but not one at the Cows. When you haven't done it, um, it can really build a media narrative against you. And he's never really had that because he sort of just ticked it off immediately. But in the years that he has been Manly's best player or Manly's key player, they, they haven't really often looked like they were going to go that deep into the finals. No, not at all. Um, look, we, we should move off the Manly game because I'm sure all the Manly fans want to move off it and just forget it happened. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Manly fans. <laughs> uh, their opposition, though, the Broncos. Okay, this is going to lead us into another point um, and another topic, but the Broncos won 38-0. They deserve credit. They did look good. Um, they won against South 32-12 to the week before, and it was one of those things where Souths also, I thought, were really poor, but you have to also give credit to the Broncos for taking advantage of that because I think... You know, last year it might have been a 14-12 dogfight in a, in a terrible game, whereas, you know, the Broncos just put them away pretty easily at 32-12. to 12. So the Broncos have certainly improved. Um, but the thing that obviously came out in round nine and has also been mentioned in the past week because of how good Adam Reynolds played against Manly is 
how good is Adam Reynolds going? Um, you know, should yeah, how how did South let him go? Is that's the narrative that's coming back up? And I just want to unpack that a little bit um, because it's something I'm not going to say it bothers me, but I'm sort of I'm not all the way there on that argument, and I'm very much in the minority. Um, so I'm going to first of all let's talk about Adam Reynolds' numbers, okay? Because he's doing exceptionally well this year, okay? He's got had nine games. And he's in that nine games um, managed four tries, which is pretty good for him. It's almost one in two two games. He's kicked 28 goals at a really effective 85%. His kicking has actually been better and more accurate in general play the last three years um, this year. So that was one of the things that I've mentioned on the signing of him that, you know, look, his kicking is actually very under the radar, not been that good the last few years. He's been kicking out on the full more. He's been giving away seven tackle sets more. He's improved that this year. So he's kind of bucked that trend. So credit to him because it's 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 something that he really had to get right. 11 try assists is really good for him as well. Um, it's something that wasn't part of his game at South very much. And one of the reasons why I questioned how good he would be and how effective, uh, but he's managed to do that and actually change his game a little bit. So I am very complimentary of how Adam Reynolds has played. I think that he's having a fantastic season. Uh, the opposite side of this though, and the thing to kind of bring everything back to earth on Adam Reynolds is that, He's really been on, like he's been white hot the last month of football. I don't think he was that that really that good to start with for the first few weeks. He's missed some time already. Um, he's going into this week under an injury cloud again, which is sort of something that happens. Um, but he's going really well this year. But one of the things that I think that I'm going to say people are getting a bit carried away about is the whole, uh, it's the worst mistake in, in rugby league history. Um, to let Adam Reynolds go from South Sydney and let him go with the Broncos. Like, to me, we're two years off being able to make that assessment. And, you know, I'll, I'll put it to you, Luke, and I'm happy for you to go with the majority because everyone will probably jump on me for this. But, like, it's it's a three-year deal, and that's a long time for a guy in his 30s, and that was always my concern. And the narrative that gets thrown out is that South wouldn't re-sign him. That's not true. South offered him a one-year deal pretty much immediately. They were happy to re-sign him, but they just said, we want to do one year at a time at the moment. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, he, you know, this year he might be fantastic, but next year he's a year older. And I'm really interested to see on 900 grand next year what he actually looks like. And then in that third year when you're paying him close to a million dollars, what does that Adam Reynolds look like? Because I don't, I don't think you're going to know whether South made the worst decision in rugby league history or, the, or a decent decision or somewhere in between until you actually see how this contract plays out. And certainly not after nine NRL games. So he was certainly what the Broncos needed, Luke. Um, and he's certainly delivering what they need this year. And he's a great fit. I don't know whether he'll be the same for the whole contract. And we kind of need to see that. If you can even do it next year, I'll be a lot more impressed. But I'm still just reserving judgment a little bit um, because we need to see whether he can do it. And the other thing that I was saying in defence of South Sydney, I, I do think it's a bit unfair because one, they did offer him a contract. And two, as much as like Elias hasn't looked phenomenal um, and maybe he won't work out, you know, every greatest halfback of all time, whether it's Andrew Johns or Ricky Stewart or Alan Langer or Peter Sterling or whoever you want to take your pick from history, all had to debut at some point. And if they didn't debut for your club, they were going to leave and debut for another club. So everybody has to make that call. And Lachlan Elias was not going to wait any longer. They were very high on him. He was very, very good junior career. And he had to start soon. Now, they could put that off for another year, perhaps, and that was their plan. But they couldn't put it off for another two or three. They would lose him. And obviously, Adam Reynolds will either be on the decline or retired. And then they're left with nothing. So you just can't let those guys go if you think that they're going to be a, 
a generational type half talent. You just can't do it. I understand where South actually came from. There might be a year of pain this year, but if it works out, it, it actually might be better for them longer term. No doubt this year they miss him. But am I crazy to sort of say we need to pull the reins a little bit on how much we are saying, you know, South's are the dumbest team in rugby league for letting Adam Riddles go? No, I don't think so. Uh, they um, Look, it doesn't look real bright at the moment, obviously, but um, it, it's a hard one because he's been he has been injured a lot there um, and they've got a spine that realistically they weren't going to be able to carry Luttrell, Reynolds, Walker and, and Cook through more contracts. Um, whether I think the mistake probably comes a bit earlier. I, I don't, I, I would have, I would have let Cook go and kept the other three if I had to make a choice um, or that, that would probably be, have been my choice. I can see why they went this way. Uh, but at the moment, you, you know, he certainly offered something different to the other guys. They're all very off the cuff players and they've removed the only one that was steering the ship around. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I think that the happy ground was they probably should have offered him two, a two-year deal if they could get that done. Uh, they've probably got reasons that they didn't. But, but uh, the thing for me is I, I've seen Elias play. I, I don't think he's going to be anywhere near as good as Adam Reynolds is. And when you have these sorts of halfbacks, you do have to be very careful about when you let them go because they just don't grow on trees. Um, you look at the last 10 years of the competition – um, and basically, Adam, if you look at who the worst six or seven was to win a comp or who the best player in the spine was. So if you look through the years, you know, Cronk has won some comps there. Um, Cleary has, has won comps. Reynolds won, won one comp. Maloney won a couple. Reynolds is the low bar for winning a competition. Like he's the worst player in the last 10 years to have won a grand final um, as the best six or seven, if that makes sense. So you don't have to have two great halves. But if you look at the, the six and the seven from every premiership winning side, he's the worst one to get it done. All the others are Cronk, Maloney, um, Cleary, and probably Munster. Um, are all there or above him. So you just don't win comps without having an absolute gun at six or seven. Um, and if you've got one, you really do need to think pretty hard before you let go of them because they ju- you, you just can't replace them. And South are now in a position where if Ilias doesn't kick on, they'll be going to market in two years' time. And they'll be going to market having had two years of Ilias instead of two more years of Reynolds. So I th- those are the risks, and they may well think Ilias is good enough to improve and get it done, um, in which case what you're saying will make total sense in a couple of years. But there's no denying that they will be doing better now with him. And if you look at the competition, I think South were entitled to think that with him they could have gone back to the top four. Um, mm. it, it's just a hard one. We're, I, we're just speculating about the unknown at the moment. He's brilliant for Brisbane. is exactly what they needed, and that was a good risk for them to take. Um, because they had all the other parts. They had, like, when I say all the other parts, I, I don't mean to win a comp, but they have a lot of talented players in the positions that matter a lot less than the spine. They have big athletes in the backs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they've got big, for- big young forwards, athletic players in the back who are fast or big or both, uh, and they had nobody running the show whatsoever. So I'm not surprised. Uh, I didn't think he'd be this good. He, he, like a lot of good players, when they go to a system like that, has impressed me when they show more than they had in a good system. When you go to a weaker system and you're able to do more than you showed, I think that's an awesome sign and something I value very highly. Someone that doesn't just succeed in a system but can then do more. Uh, if he was at South, he wouldn't be doing all of this because he'd just be passing it to Cody and Luttrell and, and that sort of thing. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. He wouldn't have set up this many tries at South Sydney. 
Um, well, it's true, but yeah. you mentioned the spine too, and yeah. it's a good point. Like Adam Reynolds is the spine of Brisbane, yeah. so that makes sense because they didn't have a spine, yeah. and they still don't really have a spine. That's a very big work in progress. Whereas if you're South Sydney, you have to choose. So it's a really good point that you make because it's one that I've raised many times. You know, you're not going to choose Adam Reynolds over Latrell, who needs an extension. You're not going to choose. You know, you could argue you're going to choose. You know, Adam Reynolds over Cook. Cook's playing very well for them this year. Um, he's also a a captain type of, you know, player there as well. I know Adam Reynolds was too. And, you know, you could argue back and forth about Reynolds or Walker, but it, it, and maybe maybe Walker was the well, one that you should have let go because yeah. he hasn't played well this year. But now, you would have known that yeah, he that's right. Off, if we, you know? if we could go back now, then I would keep Reynolds and I wouldn't have re-signed Walker, but I wouldn't have made that call last year. The guy nearly broke the tri-assist record. Like, yes, exactly, um, yes. That, that was fine. I, I personally would have let Cook, I would have, um, I think Cook slowed down a bit over the last couple of years. And I think he's um, more replaceable because I just think hooker is less important. I think you can get a hooker that passes off the ground to his halves or is quick uh, some other way. You know what I mean? There's a couple of different types of hooker mm. you can run. You can just find someone who's super quick like Cook is, or you can get someone who misses no tackles and has good passing, but can't do much else. I don't think you need to have a top five hooker to win a comp, but you, you do still need a real gun in the halves. Um, and in fairness, they don't, they did, do that they've got walker but yeah look, i just i don't have a strong view on it. i don't think it's the worst call in rugby league history i think that's a load of, load of crap i would have thought if it, if it was me then and now i would think very 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 carefully before you remove a half and if, if you want an exa- another example of why is that you only have to look at newcastle at the moment in that mitchell pierce was busted and no good anymore just no good i was so critical of him and still am i'm not complimenting him here he was gone for last year but when you took him out of the night side the, the very fact that he just happens to be a halfback who knows what to do and has a lot of experience on just getting the team around the park has seen their floor go from winning bad games against bad teams and coming sixth to losing eight in a row and looking hapless there's the halfbacks are that important nothing else has really changed at Newcastle is that you you just do need halves if you've got one you've just got to find ways to hold on to them and think very very carefully before you let them go yeah, 100%. And look, I think the best way to finish up on it, from my point of view, you know, it's, I think at the time, it was a good signing from Brisbane and a good tough decision from South that needed to be made because at the end of the day, they they gave them they gave themselves the option to keep the spine entirely together. But that is a representative level type of spine. You know, again, Reynolds is on like 900 grand. All those guys are getting paid a fortune. So you can't spend $4 million on your spine and then fill out your roster forever. They gave themselves another year to do that and then sort of said, okay, well, we can't do that in the next year. So they had to make a choice. Now, if they let Cody Walker go, I think there would have been a massive uproar. Um, he's certainly huge as well in the Indigenous community too with the Indigenous supporters, which is a big deal for them. It's a big part of their identity, as is Latrell Mitchell. And there's no way you could let Latrell Mitchell go. As critical as I am of him, he is a top tier elite talent and he's also only 25 years old. You know, you, you just can't let him go. And then there's Cook who has his own argument that he's the one that needs to be kept. But if they were to have let him go, you know, a lot of people would be critical about Cook being let go. The Souths were never going to win. They had to make a, a longer term plan. And if Reynolds didn't want to accept the one year offer, then he was have to, had to be the one that they were going to make a hard call on whether it works or not. I think that we'll see next year um, in particular, but I understand why Souths did it. I understand why Brisbane did it. Um, I think probably too much is being made from it. I think we should just be positive about it. You know, Brisbane made a signing they needed to make. They had no spine and now they've got part of a spine. 
And that's actually winning them games and working really well. Adam Reynolds is potentially in career pest form at the moment. So I think it's worked out great for, for Rhino. I think it's worked out great for Brisbane. I think it's a positive, you know, and I certainly wouldn't put all the South woes on that decision either. There's a lot more to it than that, including your mate Cody Walker that you mentioned led the league in tries this last year and he's nowhere near it this year. Um, look, let's move along. Before we do that, I do need to mention the fantastic sponsor of the All-Stars podcast, and that is TopSport. You can go to topsport.com.au today and have a look or download the app, which is super easy to use. But TopSport are 100% Australian-owned bookmaker. You can do all your sports betting there, but you can also do your racing as well. And they often have some of the best odds in market. For the super coach listeners, hey, they've also got fantasy sports markets with player performances as well. And extra, extra good deals on those as well. So if you do want to sign up with an account, make sure you gamble responsibly, but make sure you use the promo code from this podcast. It is SC All Stars, all one word, SC All Stars. Create an account today with that promo code. They'll know you're one of our listeners and they'll take fantastic care of you. Luke, big, big topic, this one. The Bulldogs, Trent Barrett, he's gone, been sacked. Or has he been sacked? That's the media (laughs) question at the moment. Uh, Look, I'm going to go on it. This is going to be my rant for this podcast. So everyone will have to bear with me a little bit. I've been pretty critical of the media in their handling of how they've narrated um, the Bulldogs um, saga, whether it's Kyle Flanagan or Bulldogs or Barrett or Gould or whoever. Um, I've, I think that it's not been the, the best reflection of Fox Sports reporting, um, of some of the other reporting as well, but particularly Fox Sports, I think have been pretty bad with it. Trent Barrett, is a coach that has a 12.5% win percentage. He's won five games in his two years at the Bulldogs coaching them. And him stepping down, it's been crickets as far as Barrett um, and his performance. You know, I, I, that, this is what I find the most astounding. All of the talk on Fox Sports is Phil Gould and how Barrett quit um, and whether he quit, whether he was sacked, how he was told, all this stuff. But none of it's about the fact that it doesn't really matter whether he quit, whether he was sacked, how he was told, anything else. It was the right decision. He has won five games in two years. They were not getting any better. On the park, they're actually getting worse. This year, they haven't hit 100 points in 10 rounds. That's hardly been done before, if ever. Uh, on top of that as well, this is a year two where we've mentioned on this podcast that Barron had half a dozen guys that he signed that are all pretty big attacking players, and yet their attackers actually looked worse. The decisions that he's made have, have been very questionable. Um, but since Gus has been involved the last month, all the talks centred around him. So I, the, the media crew at Fox Sports say there is no bias and they think it's funny that that gets brought up. I can't see how it isn't because the only thing that gets talked about at the moment is Gus, 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 Gus. Not Barrett actually should have been sacked um, and he deserved to be sacked. Now, I will also say, Luke, question for you. Um, according to the media, has a rugby league coach that has not seen out his contract ever quit? <laughs> I, I would say it would be unlikely. No. Okay, that's, that's the other point. According to the media, you will never find them say, oh, oh, such and such quit. Oh, okay, he quit. No, it is always, no, he was pushed. You know, and so... They you're not going to know. And there's no way that in the history of the game since 1908, every coach that has quit their post has actually been sacked. It's not the case, okay? We'll probably never know. But at the end of the day, um, some of the headlines that have killed me, uh, you know, Phil Rothfield wrote and then brought it up on NRL 360. He was staring at a gun telling him he could leave or it's going to get hard. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Of course it was going to get hard. 
it's that's not necessarily saying that you sacked. It's saying that you've got a 12.5% win percentage. You've lost again the last couple of weeks in a row really badly and scored 10 points the last two weeks. And you're not doing anything differently. And we're going worse and players are wanting to leave. It, of course, it's going to get hard. Of course, you need to say, mate, if you are going to stay on, things need to change because they do. You know, and, and again, it goes back to Barrett's performance to me, Luke. It's just, it's bizarre that this doesn't get brought up, that that's exactly what is a conversation that's going to occur. It doesn't mean that you're sacking someone, it's that you've got to put them in the spot that they're going to have to improve, right? Um, and probably the thing that I'm going to finish on here that I'm just going to call absolute bullshit on is all these players that they're apparently not going to be able to get because Trent Barrett's not there. Like, when did Trent Barrett get all this pull? He finished like <laughs> a whisker off the wooden spoon at Manly in his last year, finished 13th another year, um, managed to scrape into six one of his three years, left unceremoniously from there, and he's won five games in two years at the Bulldogs. Where, where are all these players that want to play for Trent Barrett? You know, Kickout's been brought up. Kickout was brought to Penrith by Gus. Burton's brought up. Gus loved Burton at Penrith. You know, they're there for Gus as much as anything. But Trent Barrett's been given this credit. So I, I just find it absolutely astounding at, at how Barrett's kind of scraped under the radar with his performance. Like people didn't even think that he should have been sacked the way you listen to the media go on about it. Yeah, it's an old one. I mean, Gus, is, Gus sells a lot because people have very strong feelings on him. They either like him or, in the most case, they hate him um, because of the commentary and stuff. Rothfield goes after him every chance he can get and always has. So once they start running that stuff, people click it because people feel very strongly about Gus. So it's a really cheap and easy narrative to do. I mean, it doesn't help that, you know, Gus is very stubborn and won't help himself. Like, he has to come out with dumb stuff like Trent Barrett will be there for years after I'm gone and stuff a week ago because that's, you know, he's just intent on stubbornly holding whatever line he's got on the day and he likes to argue with people. So he gives you a headline like that. That's really easy to grab onto when he's not there a couple of weeks later. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it's blame who you want. You can say Gus has got a history of sacking coaches. Well, he sacked, a, you know, he sacked a couple, but, you know, he, he sacked, they say, oh, he sacked Graham Murray from the Roosters. Yeah, well, he did that and they won the comp. Um, straight after, and uh, yeah. you know they don't like the context. No, of no, like they, they, that's the first coach he sacked, and they they did go on to win the comp. So you know you can have that, and and you know Penrith uh, getting rid of Ivan the first time. I think you know that doesn't look all that bright now, given he's shown he's he's, he's quite a good coach. But um, getting rid of Griffin, I, I challenge anyone to see what St George have done and tell me that Griffin was going to like. Would Griffin have got? Uh, Penrith where they are now, I'll tell you hard no, no way in the world they turn into that side with Griffin. Um, and Gus doesn't get all that credit because he didn't rehire Ivan, you know, like that was pushed on him. But nonetheless, he didn't think that Griffin could get them there and he was right and he got rid of him. And it's very brave because most clubs won't. They're, they're, they're more, most clubs would rather keep coming fifth and sixth um, or, or five to 10 than risk doing something ballsy to come first. Um, because things ballsy things can go wrong and you can end up going really badly and people go, you're an idiot. Um, and he's always been brave enough to, to do those things. So I don't really buy the coach sacking thing. I, I don't think he's got that many sackings wrong. I'm sure he's got some wrong, but he's been in the game for like 40 years as a coach and a player. Like, and so I'm sure he's got some wrong. Um, but this current one, I mean, Barrett's not a good coach. Um, the context for that is, and what was the old, well, what was the alternative yeah. to like letting get to the end of the year and the board sacks? Yeah, the, the, the like, Barrett's you know? not a good coach, and the context for that is he doesn't win any games at any clubs he's at. None of he's been at two clubs, none of them have got any good, none of them have got any better. Um, and he's changed the roster this year and hasn't got them to go any better. In fact, they're going worse. 
Um, so what do you do? Like, yeah, he had to go. I think the way they did it was silly. Um, I don't, I, I don't see, and you know, it's a bit offensive as a Knights fan that this, like, it went from like everything's fine to this is a crisis point. And he has to be sacked today after losing to the Knights. Um, but I'm not <laughs> thrilled on that. But, but I think that was silly. I think that it would have been fairly obvious after the first few weeks of this year that they hadn't improved, and that was a gradual thing. And I don't think there was a need for a mad knee jerk after Magic Round. I think that's a that's odd to me. Like, I don't think we learned. Like, I don't know about you, but I didn't watch Magic Let Round and learn something new about them that went, oh my God, this is a crisis. He has to be sacked on Monday morning or it has to, we have to push him to resign or whatever happened. It's become this flash and crisis point that built up after that loss. And I think that was silly. I think we all knew where that was going and that it wasn't going to work out. And they probably needed to be making plans in the background to do something um, a bit more smoothly than that. Um, so I don't think they handled it. It's not well handled. You, you know, like it's, it, was, it came out the minute they lost that this was going to happen and that something was going to go and he was going to be gone. And, and that, that to me is silly. We didn't, I just don't think we learned anything new last Friday. Nothing. that They played like they do every week. Well, it, it has come out from um, the last two weeks, to be fair. So it yeah. was um, two weeks ago that it sort of started um, with their loss to Canberra, which was 14-4 to four in round nine. And then they obviously um, got done by the Knights, 16-6 um, to six in Magic Round. So certainly the last two weeks. And look, I think losing to the Raiders and the Knights back-to-back does change the landscape. And in rugby league, you know, two losses like that when you have gone badly does change it a bit. I, I do take well, where, well, where you're coming I'll from. I'll ask you, was anyone tipping them to win either of those games? Though? Like, seriously, what, was anyone tipping them? To, like, I'm just, did they, why did they think they were going to win? I don't, I don't know anyone was tipping them. Well, to, I don't, I don't know even know de- anyone tipped them to beat Newcastle. I'm trying to be delicate here in how I put this. <laughs> in the current form of Newcastle, if you're not going to beat yeah. them, are you going to win again? Like, no, no, don't, <laughs> I don't absolutely. No, no, I, I agree. But still, I still tip Newcastle and I haven't tipped them. I don't know anyone that was tipping Canterbury. Like that, you're right. If you can't win that, you won't win ever. But I still don't know who was tipping them to. I just yeah. don't think it was surprising. That's where I sort of get from. It's not like, oh, my God, we lost to the Raiders and the Knights. I would have gone in thinking, oh, my God, it's terrible. We're going to lose to the Raiders and Knights. It shouldn't have come as a shock. Well, they didn't ever I don't think it's good. a shock. And I think that it's been – I do think that it's been building. And I think with each yeah. loss, it builds a bit more. And you do get a lot more pressure. Like, And, and the club has gotten probably a lot of pressure the last two weeks because I think a lot of fans – Two weeks ago, I would have looked ahead and gone out. Our hard draws over. Um, the Raiders and the Knights should be wins based on current form. And mm. whether me and you agree with that is different. Yeah. You know, these are Canterbury fans that really yep. want to get some wins. But I, I think the reality is it was the right decision. Um, I, it's not meant to be a critique on Gus because yeah, I don't really, I don't go. really think that yeah. it's about Gus. Um, I just think it's bizarre that the media keeps making it about Gus. Um, the other, the last thing that I'm going to bring up as well is. Now we're starting to get these media reports circulating in all the outlets about um, how, because of Gus, um, all these players going and, you know, how it's a disaster. Tell me, is it really that much of a disaster that you're not going to retain Matt Dufty and that Brent Naden is left immediately? Like, is that really, is that really going to set you back from getting your five wins in two years to getting three or two wins or something the next wow. two years? Like, seriously, like those are the sort of players that you're happy to, to lose if you need to, like... Well, I, I was looking at it the same. I thought when they said play, there's going to be an exodus of players, I was like, Jesus, which players and who's signing them? Like, how many of them are going to get? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I don't you mean, you I don't really want an don't exodus of players if you just win a premiership, so but if you, know, you won five games in two years, yeah. an exodus of players is probably what you want to hear. <laughs> I, I know. I was going to say, I don't mean that meanly, Bulldogs fans. I really don't. Like, it's a lovely club. I just, I, you know, I was like, Christ, like, who's going? Um, but, you know, the, it's, 
I assume the, the one they'll try and crisis point, the one they'll try and make this about is the fact that Burton has an option for 2024. So he doesn't have to, last year could be his last year. 100%. But, um, that, a couple of things on that. Firstly, uh, I'm no way writing him off yet whatsoever, but he hasn't shown a lot. I have not been impressed with him at all. He's barely setting up any tries. He's got a beautiful kick. He's a good runner of the football, but he's not shown much yet in the way of, of attacking in the halves. Um, again, I'm not writing him off. The, the second thing about that is, is that if you say that this instability and this crisis will make him not resign, you know, and he'll want to leave now, you may be right. But if you think that, can I also put to you that winning like, say, three games of his next 60 or five games of his next 40 or whatever over the next two years, would that have made him want to stay too? Like if they keep going like this and they get to the end of the year and they've won three games and they start off next year by losing five in a row all under Barrett, would that make him want to stay? But you have to go one way or the other. And the only thing I can, at the moment, you can either keep doing what you're doing, which is guaranteed to be crap, or you can circuit break. And it might get better. It might not, but it might get better. But that's the only thing you can do, right? So if Burton leaves because of all this instability and it's all chaos and he doesn't want to be there, you probably have to take that risk because there's no way he's going to stay there if they're coming dead last this time next year. He'll walk out. Someone will offer him just as much money, if not more, to play somewhere else that's just not as bad. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you must have been looking at my notes because it was my next point. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You know, yeah. you know what makes someone like Matt Burton leave? Losing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah losing every week for two years won't help him want to stay either. You know, <laughs> Especially when you've come from Penrith and you've been yeah. winning and you've just won a grand final. You know, you don't want to go through this. So, it, oh, look, uh, if you're, you know, and again, it's not, this isn't even a slide on Trent Barrett. Like, I've met Trent Barrett once. I've seen plenty of interviews with him. Plenty of good people around rugby league have said he's a great guy. I believe all that from what I've seen. He seems fantastic and he seemed like a really good assistant coach. So by no way, shape or form am I having a go at him by saying he's coached badly, but he just has. It's just the results that are there. And again, I don't want to upset Bulldogs fans, but people, the media saying, you know, Gus is making it It cannot be any worse. You are last. You were, you've been in the doldrums forever. You've won 12.5% of your games under Barrett. Um, people like Dufty have been terrible this year, so you don't want to re-sign them anyway. You know, it, he can't make it worse. So, you know, getting rid of the things that have been there that have made it this bad, it, it can't be necessarily a bad thing. I get that people maybe don't want to rebuild again, but you, you just don't have a choice. You know, I don't think Barrett was a great selection to start with. Even Phil Gould himself said two years ago, it's probably not going to be a great fit. And, and he actually turned out to be right with that. So, you know, there was question marks on some of these signings as well. I, I just think that the right decision was made. You know, yeah. just cut out all the media crap and everything. The right decision was made. Yeah, whether right. he walked, whether he didn't, it, it just doesn't matter, Luke. You know, they had to do it. No, he had to go. You can argue about the timing or the way they did it or how it was handled, but he had to go at some point. And, you know, uh, it's clear he, he got his chance to have an improved roster and they got worse, not better. And he was going to go at some point this year, I think, once, once the rot set in. I just want to finish off on something with these players leaving because oh, I think it's a great quote from Wayne Bennett, but I'm pretty sure like 99% that he stole it from Sun Tzu in the Art of War book. But it's uh, <laughs> when you're talking about players you know, leaving and stuff, one of the Bulldogs pages actually put this up from Wayne Bennett. I think it's fantastic. I'd rather go to war with 100 men who will fight to the death than 1,000 who won't. And that's what Bulldogs fans should remember with these guys leaving. You know, if these guys aren't there for the long haul and they don't want to fight for the club and they don't want to bring them out of the cellar, then let them go. It's a very good quote. Um, James Graham as well had a really good quote on Triple M today where he just said, it's absolute bollocks. 
if these guys are saying that they came there to play for Trent Barrett, because if you came there to play for Trent Barrett, you would have played a hell of a lot better than you did this year, especially a few <laughs> of these players yeah. that are talking. And that's gold. You know, that is 100%. Yeah. Luke, that is part one of this podcast. Uh, part two, everyone will be up very shortly after. You can download and stream on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and Audible. We're everywhere. Make sure you do it. Follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. Tune in for part two very shortly. I hope you enjoyed part one and you keep tuning in again to chat again soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get 